Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. This is what I call a legacy issue. It's tied to equity. It's tied to transparency. These are tied to several executive orders. It is AI, a lot of it. And this is basically the next era bill. We had meaningful use and now we have the HCI one era. Welcome to Newsday, a This Week Health newsroom show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our Newsday show partners, and we have a lot of them this year, which I am really excited about. Cedar sinai Accelerator, ClearSense, CrowdStrike, Digital Scientists, Optimum Healthcare IT, Pure Storage, SureTest, TauSite, Lumion, and VMware. We appreciate them investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to the show. Hey, it's Newsday, and we are joined by Mari Safikas, the Head of Government Relations for Chime. Mari, it's always great to have you on the show. It's been a little bit. Thanks, Bill. It's nice to see you again. I think the last time I was unofficially on your show was at Vive last year. Yeah, it's too long. My gosh, the pace of things that are happening in the government right now are pretty extensive. And even the response to some of the things, Tefka finally went in, we have some blocking stuff that's taking shape and there's there's some back and forth on that as well. Medical device, there's security, there's AI. My gosh, there's is there anything that the government isn't trying to weigh in on right now? There's just a lot going on. There is a lot, that's a fair assessment. So we have a couple of articles we can work from. ONC info blocking disincentives are excessive, says the American Hospital Association. And essentially what they're saying, the AHA believes that the disincentives, which includes significant reductions in yearly market-based updates for inpatient prospective payment system, hospitals and reimbursements. If there's cuts to that for critical access hospitals, that they believe those penalties could threaten the financial viability of some of the smaller and rural hospitals. AHA suggests using existing practices such as those for enforcing HIPAA violations and whatnot. This is finally, the 21st century cures has finally taken shape. The incentives, disincentives have finally taken shape. And now we have the normal back and forth of, hey, this might be a little too much. This is pretty much the normal flow of the process, isn't it? Yes, I think that it's a proposed rule, right? We also weighed in extensively and we do agree this is a fairly aggressive approach that they're taking. I like to go back to the way, and if we could go back, always bring us back in the policy time machine. Remember HIPAA, that little yeah. thing? Yeah. That was fairly seismic than when that was implemented across the sector. And I can remember, because I worked at CMS when this happened, that all the calls that we were fielding, oh, I'm going to quit the practice of medicine and so on and so forth. And so now we're in the information blocking era. And if you look at the way that the government has actually approached HIPAA, hoping, I'm hoping, but it, it is really hard to have to take a look at some of these policies when they come out that they would look at the most egregious actors, right? So in HIPAA, they don't go after just anyone, right? But there are fines and there are penalties for non-compliance. But the first thing that happens out of the gate when an investigation is initiated is they try to bring the covered entity into compliance. I'm hoping 
that they will take a like-minded approach because the resources of the government are not endless. That being said, they did come out, I'd say, swinging a little bit on this one. And the penalties are very extreme should you find yourself in a situation of being deemed a blocker. They're proposed, and we're, I think, in agreement with several things the AHA has said. And we like to focus on education going after the most egregious examples, not just like any information blocking assertion. They really should go after very egregious situations. They also need to implement an appeals process that's consistent. The way that they've approached this is they said, hey, listen, whatever government agency we're dealing with, in this case, it's going to be mostly CMS because that's where the hammer is. We're going to lean on the appeals process for that program that we think you violated. And so it doesn't implement a consistent appeals process across the board. And so we feel that, and I would be surprised if the AHA didn't agree with this, they need to have a consistent appeals process that every provider and every covered agency should be able to avail themselves to. But I'll just pause there. This is a lot to unpack. I have a penalty. I could just read them off. Those of your listeners who might be curious, what would happen should you actually be deemed an information blocker and found guilty of an information blocking crime for the hospital? The median penalty as estimated by the federal government, is $394,353, okay? But it can go up into the millions. And I think that probably my experience with government estimates is they're usually low. I think advice out there for those who might be a little bit nervous about this, just do the right thing and document. If you're trying hard and you're trying to meet the, the spirit of the law, I think you're going to be in a much better position. So yeah, let me just stop there. Yeah, it's interesting. Are we talking predominantly about the EHR data? Are we talking about all forms of data within the health system? Okay, so you have to look at the definition of EHI. And since we, Chime, sits in the provider seat, we will look at the definition of an actor, okay? The, and I can send you a cheat sheet on this. It's extensive. So it goes well beyond who, for example, has to comply with other pieces of Medicare statute. The way that they're starting is they're going after those who in meaningful use, LTPAC providers would not be initially, which is great because they didn't get money for EHRs, right? So that's a good situation. But yeah, the, but the scope is anyone who's really, who's deemed it a provider actor under the definition, which I don't have in front of you, but it's long and lengthy. <laughs> and then again, this is the toe in the water. So this would be the first quote unquote lever. They like to use the word lever in Washington that they can pull. And so they're looking at where they can go after what levers can they pull? And they've pulled out a few here. Yeah, AHA is weighing in here. Chime has weighed in here. This is, I say it's the normal process because HIPAA is, my gosh, how old is HIPAA now? I can't even do the math. 1996 was when it was signed into law, but then there's been a cascading array of regulations that went after that. It's taken shape over time. And, and what you're saying now is, hey, the way this is being enforced, the way they're going after this makes a lot more sense. But that's after probably a lot of this back and forth of, hey, this isn't right, this isn't right. And it requires things like Chime stepping up and AHA stepping up, those kind of things. But I suspect, given the people that are on the government side trying to do the right thing, they're going to take the feedback. They're going to adjust it. And we're going to continue this machination until we get to something that's closer. And we go after those who are egregiously in violation. That's really what this is about. It is not about those actors who are legitimately trying, but maybe underfunded, under-resourced, and those kinds of things. It's really going after those people who are essentially doing the Heisman to this law. I, I That's what I'm getting from you. Is that close if you read it to the letter, it's not the law, but the letter of what they're saying in the rule, they have opened the door very wide in terms of, for example, they've 
defined intent, if you have an intent, that this is a complicated legal structure that again, we ask them to go after egregious cases, not where you have suspicions and innuendos. It's just, we want them to be a little bit more myopic in their focus, but even putting that aside, we want them to do education first. There's still so many pieces of information blocking, and we try to impart this in our comment letter that are still misunderstood and confusing, right? There's exception process. Those are still fairly confusing, some of them, right? There's this confusion around what is in your designated record set. So I think the first thing out of the gate to do is to really use a glide path, an on-ramp to education before you start right out of the gate, making an example out of someone. And again, just to go, and if once that glide path has been exceeded, then we'd like to see them go after, like when someone's leaving PHI in the dumpster kind of example, you know what I'm saying? Like in the back, like that's an egregious, leaving all the doors unlocked, metaphorical. It can't just be someone who's trying really hard and maybe slipped up. I would be surprised if that's how they went after things. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Clearly, you have to write a law to be as clear as possible. And then there's the enforcement of that law and how that sort of takes shape moving forward, which will be interesting. I do want to hit on cybersecurity with you. This is obviously a very significant topic at the federal and state level, for that matter. We have the New York state law, which is moving through, which it looks a little bit like MU for cybersecurity. There's actually funding associated with it. That's interesting. We have FDA and CISA updates their agreement to address medical devices. We have the FTC proposing amendments to strengthen and modernize the health data breach notification rule. There's just a lot going on in this space. What, as a uh, health system, as a health system provider, what are some of the key things that we should be focused in on right now that the government's working on with regard to security? There's one thing I want to bring to folks' attention because I feel like this is not on everyone's radar is in December, and this is also after a long sort of ramp up period, I guess most of 2023, is HHS made an announcement. It was a six page document, but it was enough to get everyone thinking. And, and if, again, if readers or watchers haven't seen this, we can share the link with you, Bill. There are big plans at HHS on cyber. There will be some mandates coming. The thing that we're looking for the, right out of the gate are what we're called performance goals. So those may come this month. They were supposed to come last month. I think they're going to come this month. It's going to give us a greater indication as to what hospitals are going to be required to have to meet in terms of cyber mandates. There's several things in here too that they're going to be doing, not just on the goals, but we're going to see them reopen the HIPAA security rule. These are things, these are outlined. I just wanted to read a little quote, if it's okay. I pulled this out from the document. Please. Okay. So HHS says funding and voluntary goals alone will not drive cyber related behavioral change needed across the healthcare sector. Given the increased risk profile of hospitals, HHS aspires to have all hospitals meeting sector-specific CPGs, those are those goals I just referenced, in the coming years. With additional authorities and resources, HHS will propose incorporation of HHS CPGs, aka goals, mandates, into existing regulations and programs that will inform the creation of new enforceable cybersecurity standards. Said another way, the mandates are coming and even though in this document that they reference, they're going to ask Congress for more money, you and I both know that it's a really difficult climate. So I'm not sure where they expect to find these additional resources. So these are all things that should be on every CIO and CISO's radar. It's one thing to put mandates on. It's another thing to not fund them and go back to the hospitals. And obviously, if you're Northwell or Common Spirit or whatever, you have some resources to throw at this. But if you are a rural health system or those kinds of things, 
it's not like there's money sitting around for additional mandates to be met. What I'm sure that's understood on the Hill. I'm sure that's understood at HHS, but there's also this just demand, this cyber war that's going on right now. And I think this is going to be an interesting push-pull of, hey, here are the new requirements. And I could just look at you and go, we don't have the resources. We don't have the talent. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money to do these things. How are we going to communicate that back in a way that grabs the Hill's attention that, hey, throwing out these mandates may not have the desired effect you want? So you raise an excellent point. And throughout all of our communicate with the federal government and with Congress, we've repeatedly asked for support for what we call the smalls. So those who are small, under-resourced, it could be rural, urban, they're already digging deep to try to get clinicians to show up for work with the workforce issues. And so it, it is a really a big push and pull. So we've constantly reinforced that message. And I think that HHS has heard that, which is why in that messaging document that I referenced, which I'll get the link for you, that they mentioned they're going to ask Congress for more assistance. But I guess we're on edge, a little bit on the edge of our seat, waiting to see what they come out with. Because if there are any hard and fast minutes, for example, around say conditions of participation, which is what we would call a nuclear option, you don't want to dangle the threat of removing reimbursement from a provider, especially a cash strap provider. To be determined, I think we, at least from Chime's position, we agree that we need to do more in terms of fortifying our sector. And we do agree it is a shared responsibility, but we do also have a collective obligation to bring all those small and under-resourced providers forward with the greatest amount of help possible. And so we continue to advocate for additional resources on the Hill, additional resources for HHS to support our sector. And then one final point too is as you balance the panoply of mandates that are coming, just going back to the previous one we just referenced. So if you are deemed say an information blocker, and if you don't meet the requirement, you could have your meaningful use money stripped away, which of course results in a negative penalty to the provider. So how do you balance all of these pieces? And I hope and we will continue to impart this to federal policy and lawmakers. We hope they're taking this into account. One of the things I used to have to educate the organization on, they're like, hey, why can't we get to more projects in IT? I'm like, because 15% to 20% of our resources every year go to regulatory projects. It's just, there's no discussion about it. There's no whatever. As a health system, because it's a highly regulated environment, we have to allocate these resources to these projects. 20%, that's a significant amount of an IT budget that's focused in on, hey, making sure it used to be meaningful use and whatnot, but now it's, as you say, this this host information blocking, it's participation with TEFCA and those kinds of requirements. It's obviously information sharing, but it's also the cybersecurity requirements. That's a significant burden. I guess the question I would ask you is, do you expect to see more state involvement with regard to cybersecurity like we're seeing in the state of New York. Do you think that's going to be a, a trend that we see going into next year? So absolutely think there's going to be more state activity. And China, we don't do state-based advocacy. It's hard to not be aware of in the periphery some of the bills that are moving around, like the cyber mandates coming out in New York. So when they see a lack of movement, for example, on this on the federal level, the states take action. We've seen this with privacy. We've actually even seen some of this with interoperability and Again, I, I'm sure I don't have a full eyes on all of the state activity, but I know that there's a law in California that has some interoperability pieces to it. It's pretty big. There's a, a bill, and I'm not sure if it's a law yet, in Utah. So they are starting to act and put extra requirements on or moving first before the federal government does. So absolutely think that is going to happen, and we'll see more of that. 
Welcome to This Week Health, where every morning is an opportunity to transform your day with the power of health IT knowledge. Dive into our diverse podcasts on Spotify or Apple Music, featuring shows like Today and Keynote, bringing you insights from the forefront of healthcare technology. But there's more. Our daily insight emails deliver the latest health IT news directly to your inbox, ensuring you're always one step ahead. And for those on-the-go moments, our weekly clip notes summarize key points from our content, making it easier to stay informed, engaged, and aware of what's going on in the industry. And don't forget to visit our revamped website, especially the news section at This Week Health News. It's your curated hub for the most relevant news selected and summarized for your convenience. This Week Health is more than a platform. It's your daily partner in navigating the ever-evolving world of health IT. Subscribe, follow, and become a part of a community that's shaping the future of healthcare. This Week Health, where your journey into health IT excellence begins every day. We're in an election year. I'm not going to ask you to, to weigh in on the politics of it, but I did see an article that said that healthcare will not be as much of an issue in this year's federal election. And I, I was surprised at that. They say this will be like a fourth or fifth priority. I was surprised at that. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, hey, with the various wars that are going on around the world, with the border challenges, with a bunch, I started to see how healthcare could get pushed back in the priority. Do you feel like it's not going to have as much of a front and center as it's had in previous election cycles? I think elements of it will continue to rear their head. We stay in the healthcare technology and digital health space. So I'm sure you can think about some of the things that are going on that are that are trigger issues. But I always think that healthcare is it is a voter issue because everyone is a patient, right? We're all patients and it's close to home. There's I think there's been a lot that's happened around race transparency, something we don't get too involved with in Chime social determinants of health. There are pieces I think that will, anything that affects someone's pocketbook at home is a voter issue. So I don't know if it's going to be like the top issue. I wouldn't say that, but I certainly think it's, it's going to continue to be in the back of people's minds. Like the economy still is not perfect, right? Despite they're, the pressure you can see it at the hospitals. So workforce. So I always think even though we don't advocate directly in workforce, it has a spillover effect into everything. So that means the economic condition of an American family often involves your spend on healthcare. Absolutely. Still the leading cause of bankruptcies in the United States is exactly. medical bankruptcy. I'm surprised that there is no healthcare candidate right now. There's like nobody who's like running on healthcare, but it's with the financial aspects of it, I think are pretty interesting. The amount of GDP it continues to take is pretty interesting. But I, I think sometimes when we get into the healthcare conversation to the individual, they're just like, I, I don't understand. You're deeply involved in it. And there's probably some things that you just scratch your head from time to time and go, this is confusing. I know that when- Maybe every day in Washington, <laughs> Bell, and you imagine that trying to take that conversation and take it down to a voter level issue and have conversations. I, I imagine if they're in Iowa in some diner somewhere, somebody's going to say, hey, I have these issues with healthcare and there's going to be a conversation. As I read that article, I thought it's a shame if we go through this cycle and don't escalate some of these issues and, and get them front and center a little bit, but it's the American public. It's what's top of mind for them. So it'll be interesting. You know, I don't know that this is going to necessarily rear its head in this manner, but you can't have a conversation anywhere it seems to in, in our era or our, our little bubble here without talking about AI, right? Yes. So AI. And so when you would think, how would that affect, say, a patient? And maybe they had a claim denied. I could see these things like bubbling up a little bit, but AI is here to stay. 
and it, it's going to permeate every orifice of our lives, including healthcare. So I think that could bubble up a little bit more. I haven't given it too much thought in terms of the direct impact of a patient in the election year, but I do see that in the background. It is interesting. We just saw a major, gosh, what was it? Was it a mandate? Because it wasn't a law. It wasn't a proposed law. It was just a, it, it was a- HCI-1? Yeah, yeah. What category is that in? That would fall into the category of both interoperability and AI. And for, again, for those uh, CIOs not yet out there who haven't heard of HCI-1, you could add this to your new lexicon. So this is a new rule. It's finalized and we're still unpacking it over here. This is a rule that's attached to what, 21st century cures, or is it just out on its own? If you read the, I'll cut to the chase. This is what I call a legacy issue. It's tied to equity. It's tied to transparency. These are tied to several executive orders. This is, but it, it is AI, a lot of it. And so they're revamping the certification for certified EHRs to embed. They're ripping up the clinical decision support measure and tearing that apart. And it's going to be far more expansive. So that's essentially what the rule is about without getting to, we can go into the weeds a little bit more that there's a lot in here where there'll be fact sheets, there'll be education sessions. This is basically the next era bill. We had meaningful use and now we have the HCI one era, if that makes sense. It's that big. No, it makes perfect sense. We didn't do a final tally, but the amount of times we talked about AI last year on the show was pretty extensive, almost like 20 to 50 times the amount that we talked about it the year prior. Clearly it came into the consciousness last year and there isn't a CIO I talked to today that doesn't have AI initiatives as part of their objectives for this year, either integrating it into the, the patient experience, the administrative experience, even integrating it into the back office call center. And as you said, it's just permeating every aspect of healthcare. And, and what's interesting too, is that sometimes when I think when, when a lot of people think about AI, you're thinking about like the whiz bang, the generative rate, called bleeding edge soft but most of our members are not yet there, right? They're still using it. And I pulled out a data point from our most wired survey and they are using AI, right? It may not be the generative though. And they're using a lot of it for things like workflow. So I think that whenever you can bring a solution to the market, that's going to improve workforce efficiency, whether it's clinical or administrative, you are going to have a winning solution because that's where the middle of the pack is right now. Yeah, certainly they're looking to the bleeding edge folks to see what they're doing. I have one member who's spending, I think like $600,000 a month on the generative stuff. And, and the most providers can't afford that. It's yeah. really in the center where, how can they improve their use of analytics? That Those I think are anything you can do to improve the efficiency of healthcare, honestly, is gonna allow you to free up those dollars you just referenced, that budget that's so finite so that you can do other things. Yeah, oddly enough, some of the most sophisticated stuff is the things that's the most prevalent is computer vision. If you go into radiology, cardiology and whatnot, we have a body of knowledge. We have very definitive reads and that was very easy, not easy, but it was easier to train the models. And so we have very sophisticated models around imaging. We have computer vision now showing up in cameras and rooms and that kind of stuff because it's a very definitive data set, right? The picture is the picture, period. Whereas a lot of our other stuff, we're still in that training mode. We still have to figure out how to get the medical record in a form that generative AI can produce a note or produce a message back to a patient and that kind of stuff. There's still a lot of work to do there. As you said, and I looked at Gartner's hype cycle on this, there was like 52 different variations of AI. And we focus in on ChatGPT and BARD and that kind of stuff because it's so prevalent right now. But 
there's a whole bunch of it that's already through the trough of disillusionment and working its way into very sophisticated models. And those are, as I just interviewed John Halamka, and as he always points out on a call with him, is we've been doing AI for 20 years. Like this is- That's exactly right. And this new rule, I just, I'll pull that for you. It's so it's decision support intervention. This has pretty far ranging consequences. Predictive DSI is technology that supports decision-making based on algorithms or models that derive relationships from training data, then produce an output that results in prediction, classification, recommendation, evaluation, or analysis. That's pretty big and broad. So this, again, this rule is, has a lot of pieces to it. And I think the provider community is going to spend the better year trying to get their arms around this because the vendors have to deliver an upgraded solution by the end of 2024. And then the, it has to be available to the providers January 1st, 2025, which sounds like tomorrow in my book. By my estimation, it's far too quick. Yeah. I just interviewed Mickey Tripathi as well. And it's interesting when having lived through some of this stuff, when the government sets these deadlines and they say 2025 or 2026, it seems like it's so far away until it's not. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, all these things are upon us. AI is already upon us. The cybersecurity war is already upon us. Information sharing. I will say this, and after talking to Mickey and others, I'm actually pretty excited about the progress we're making. I'm seeing really interesting things come out of the health systems in terms of transparency, in terms of data sharing. It's what we envision for meaningful use is now starting to provide benefits to patients and to clinicians and whatnot. Directionally, I think the last 10 years of these rules and these laws and directions have really guided us pretty well in a direction. And yes, it's been challenging. It's been expensive. It's been difficult. And there's been some hits and misses. But I like some of the things that I'm hearing from health systems that they're able to do now with these certified medical records and data sharing platforms and other things. I Again, I'm optimistic of where all of this is headed. I mean, there is cause for a lot of optimism. And if we look back to when we started this journey in the early 2000s with the ONC and being created and in only a few hospitals really even having EHRs, like we've come a really long way. I think the challenge will be, and this presents an ongoing challenge to the federal government is to make sure that we're not having regulations that are superfluous, right? Not creating regulations that you invest money and then you decide that you're going to pull them back because they're not really workable. If we could just maybe course correct in some of those pieces, that we'll have greater efficiency, we'll have more money to invest in the things that are going to deliver the, the right ROI. I'm generally an optimist, but it, it is hard sometimes in Washington to be always optimistic, Bell. I'm trying. Mari, it's great to have you on the show, and I look forward to seeing you. The The Vive event's right, right around the corner. It's like in February. I mean, right, right around the corner, like I will blink and I'll, we'll be in Los Angeles. So I probably will see you very shortly and look forward to maybe another impromptu touch base on site and let us know if we can do anything for you. Absolutely. And that is the news. If I were a CIO today, I think what I would do is I'd have every team member listening to a show just like this one and trying to have conversations with them after the show about what they've learned and what we can apply to our health system. If you want to support This Week Health, one of the ways you can do that is you can recommend our channels to a peer or to one of your staff members. We have two channels, This Week Health Newsroom and This Week Health Conference. You can check them out anywhere you listen to podcasts, which is a lot of places. Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, you name it, you can find it there. You can also find us on YouTube. And of course, you can go to our website, thisweekhealth.com. And we want to thank our Newsday partners, again, a lot of them, and we appreciate their participation in this show. Cedar sinai Accelerator, 
ClearSense, CrowdStrike, Digital Scientists, Optimum, Pure Storage, SureTest, TauSite, Lumion, and VMware, who have invested in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.